My name is Rick Napier, the CEO at Real People USA, LLC, located in California. And Real People USA, we have some very interesting guests to talk about real situations affecting real people. Today's guest is Cynthia Cowie, and she is a writer for One America Network, One America News Network, and uh, she's also a political activist. Now, I will just say before I bring Cynthia on that we're starting to see a lot of citizen soldiers rise to the top. And what that means uh, as a former military person and, and National Guard person, citizen soldiers, you know, sort of do the work that supplements the active duty military. Now, what we're seeing in California and across the country, we're starting to see citizens rise to the top to fill in the ranks. Because there's definitely a void in, in politics. There's definitely a void in leadership, and citizens are starting to see it. So without further delay, I would like to welcome Cynthia Cowie as a Real People USA guest. Good afternoon, Cynthia. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rick. Thank you for having me on. Perfect, perfect, and thank you for accepting. I know you, you have a very busy schedule. Uh, working for One America News Network. So let me ask my first question or my first uh, statement, which is please tell our listeners a little about Cynthia. Like, where were you born, your education and work history, and whatever you want to add to it. Sure. So, a little bit about myself and Cynthia Cowie. I was born and raised in San Diego, California. Um, I went to Vista High School, and I graduated and uh, also went to University of California, San Diego. So people who are in California, they'll know it as UC San Diego. I got a bachelor's degree in communication, graduated as a first-generation college student, meaning I was the first in my family to attend and obtain um, a four-year uh, bachelor's degree. Um, after I graduated from school, I entered the workforce and um, I did sales and marketing, um, you know, for several years. And then I ended up at One America News Network, where I work as a TV news writer. So that's a little bit, you know, about myself and you know my background. Well, perfect, perfect, and congratulations on being the first generation college graduate. I, I can relate to that. I definitely can. So my, my next question is my first impression of you is that you are, you are a people person. Uh, we connected on Twitter, and I noticed a lot of your, your tweets made more sense than most people's re regarding the, the California political uh, climate. Where did you gain this, this wisdom, this political wisdom, this experience that you uh, so well communicate on Twitter? Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Rick. Um, it's amazing, you know. Twitter, you know, it. I always, I always joke around with people. Like the second you like log off and you just take a break, you know, you go experience the real world and not be on your phone. Like Twitter is so wild. I feel like it's when you log back in, it's like you're walking into a fire. It's like you step away for like ten minutes and you feel like the entire world is on fire because there's breaking news and all these different things. Um, but Twitter is also like a beautiful blessing because I feel like I've been able to network, connect with like-minded people and, you know, different people that are like public figures and, you know, great people like yourself as well. Um, and thank you for the compliments, you know, as far as like about myself. Um, I would say, you know, one thing about me that I think would be interesting for people to know, like I was not always a people person. Um, Tool Vista High School is known in San Diego you know, for being a magnet school, which means that there are students that uh, don't have children to high school as their home school. Um, but so they transferred to Chilvista High School because of different reasons. One being Chilvista High School is known for having the best performing arts program in the region. So, you know, for example, also uh, the celebrity and Hollywood actor Mario Lopez graduated from there, so that's always like my bragging right. <laughs> that Mario mm -hmm, Lopez, mm -hmm. I went to the same high school as him. Um, so I did performing arts ever since 
elementary school. And since then, um, you know, the arts became like my outlet where I was able to come out of my shell um, and I was able to, you know, learn how to express myself, um, overcome shyness and different things. Um, so for me, like the arts is something that, you know, I owe a lot to. And um, my classmates and I at that time in sixth grade decided to continue pursuing performing arts. And we got accepted into the performing arts program um, at Chilvista Middle and High School. So it's called the SDPA program. Um, so that's, you know, where I got that experience is that, you know, I had multiple kinds of seeds planting throughout my life. And um, basically, you know, throughout middle school and high school, I really immersed myself in school. I loved school academically, but then also, you know, outside the classroom, I was very active in sports um, and lots of different organizations. So, you know, and when I was in eighth grade, you know, I had some, you know, friends, you know, betraying me. So I used high school as a way to help reinvent myself as far as branching out with different people to form solidified relationships with people um, and then also pursue different things and put myself out there. So, you know, a few different outlets of mine and key accomplishments. I was class president for all four years of high school and class president at, you know, my school. They've helped plan senior proms. So every year there was a lot of different fundraisers and different events to be had to kind of help fundraise for what senior prom was. So it was super fun. I got to plan um, and have our our senior prom at Los Coronado Bay Resort. So for those oh, that nice. are familiar with San Diego, they know that that is one of the best resorts that you could have a senior prom at. Um, so that was like, you know, a really cool experience, um, you know, along with being in show choir um, and being in sports as well. You know, I was able to, you know, have great relationships as well. And then, you know, I went to college um, and was part of a sorority. I was a member of Tri Delta. So, you know, I feel like, you know, because of the arts, being able to plant that seed and throughout grade school and undergraduate studies, I felt like I was really blessed with different opportunities and being able to surround myself with great people um, to kind of build myself to be a people person. Um, and, you know, for me, like, I think social media is a great tool. It's not real life. It's not everything. So, you know, one thing that especially, you know, being in the business and the industry of, of you know, the political world you know, I I just, you know, it's great to be able to connect with people online, but I always want to make sure I put an effort and be able to connect with people offline if possible, because um, I know the word friends gets tossed around super loosely in our industry. So, um, you know, I want people to know that, like, yeah, like, I'm great, I'm fiery, but mostly peaceful on Twitter, but this is how I actually am, like, offline. I was actually vocal offline, and then I decided to go on social media in 2021 and use that voice and that platform, that communication skills, you know, to be more vocal about politics online. So that's a little bit about, you know, that. Excellent, excellent. So if you can, please talk about uh, the great work environment at One America Network News. You mentioned to me a little bit about they are just a great, you know, media outlet to work with. And so please describe that work environment if you can. Sure. So One American News Network, for short, people will know it as OAN. Um, so we are a 24-hour news network. So, you know, we're known for covering uh, politics. Um, we're also known for covering, you know, different kinds of events. Uh, because we are 24-hour news, we have different anchors. Um, in addition to that, we have different talk shows. So some people, you know, might know Dan Ball, Stephanie Hamill, uh, Kara McKinney, um, those are, you know, top three talk shows that we have. Um, we have offices in San Diego, in Florida, and Washington, D.C., so people will know, like, Chanel Rion. Um, they will know, um, they'll know uh, Chelsea, or, uh, yeah, Chelsea Bob, Christina Bob, I apologize, Christina Bob. Um, so they'll know, like, all these key people if I were, you know, to bring them up at OAN. So... I enjoy OAN because it's a very, I feel like, you know, if you're someone that is a conservative or, you know, Republican, it's a very open environment, you know, where you feel like you can be who you are. Um, you know, one one thing that, you know, I think is important for people to know, because I know it's such a hot topic now, 
um, is having, you know, these COVID mandates. And um, one American News Network, you know, when I was looking for new jobs, my biggest question, is there going to be any kind of mandate? And they never instituted one. So I think that was like a huge relief for me um, because I have a lot of strong convictions, you know, in regards to, you know, those kinds of decisions to be made in the private sector. Um, so I, I enjoy it. Um, and I think it's super cool because I... Having that background in sales and marketing, like stepping into journalism world and working in like a news network, you know, it's something that it's a very rewarding and very interesting experience because everyone watches TV, um, but they don't realize everything that happens behind the screen. Like there, it's really stressful, you know, for like the anchor and, you know, there's so much things for like the production, the technology, we have directors and producers. Um, there's writers that write the scripts for the anchors, and those scripts go through multiple revisions. Um, for me, what I do, I'm a TV news writer, so I am the first train in the stop. I look at the stories that we have in our rundown, and I pick the stories I want to write. And, you know, after it goes there, we have video editors to make B-roll. So that way we have some kind of visual for the show. And then the producers and directors and the anchors look at the scripts. So there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. I think, you know, unless someone is familiar with the industry or knows, you know, what's going on, like I think it's something that people would be pretty surprised by. So it's a very fast-paced environment. Um, but I enjoy my colleagues. I enjoy what we do. Um, and it's a great environment to work at, at OEN. Nice. So you gave a great behind-the-scenes uh, detail about behind, like working at a news network and uh, that must be fascinating to uh, to to work at a news network that uh, number one tells the truth and doesn't censor. And as an employee, you have a, a great working environment, knowing that no one's ever going to force you to to take the jab against your own you know convictions. So thanks for sharing that. So uh, my next question: How is San Diego, California? And in your opinion, California in general, treating you right now in the midst of Newsom's major governance, and I call it governance incompetence. You're putting it very mildly, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Would be my guess um, so, and take it to the next level. <laughs> so San Diego and California in general could be better overall. And I would say, I would actually argue, you know, um, San Diego and California could have been better, uh, you know, before Newsom even came in the picture. But I feel when Newsom really took the reign, in particular 2020 and, you know, 2021 and 2022, so almost two years now, um, I felt like, you know, it progressively got worse. In addition to that, I think it can no longer, I think no one, you know, can't unsee what's happened, in my personal opinion. So for San Diego in particular, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to know because with everything that happened in 2020 and now that's been almost two years, um, there's been so much that's happened, you know, from the San Diego political world. Um, we've had, I'm really blessed to be in San Diego if you're someone that's a political nerd and activist like myself because we have so many great uh, grassroots coalitions and organizations and movements along with some great elected officials and community leaders in our area. For example, like nationwide or even like statewide people might know who they are. So we have Let Them Breathe. We have San Diego Rise Up. We have Let Them Choose. Um, we have a great Lincoln Club. We have a great active San Diego Republican Party. Um, you know, so in San Diego in particular, we have a great hub. And then if we want to talk about, you know, statewide, you know, we also have Reopen California Schools, which is run by Johnson Sackerson, um, who's running for a state assembly in District 5, um, you know, we have that, so I feel like, you know, regardless of, you know, what's going on with Newsom's, you know, incompetence, I think we have so many great efforts trying to push back against everything that's going on. And in the long term, I am off, I'm cautiously optimistic in that I think people are ready to mobilize and make great significant changes on the local level, on the school-wide level, on the municipality level, and the statewide level. So, you know, as far as, like, some specifics, as far as, like, spilling the tea on what's happening on the ground, um... I think San Diego, you know, we've done, we've accomplished a lot. Um, we were able to shut down like a vaccine passport for private businesses uh, because of public comments and public pressure from our elected officials. And um, we've also had, you know, some losses. Um, you know, I think 
one thing that people know San Diego for as far as political activism is, you know, our county board supervisors meetings because, you know, we do have a three to two uh, Democrat majority. So, you know, fortunately until long term we're able to kind of flip seats in that regard, we're always going to kind of have like these same, you know, results as far as, you know, different legislation that and on the municipality side that can be better. Um, so we do have some elections and recall efforts going on in that regard. Um, but as far as like, you know, um, like the vaccine stuff, you know, unfortunately, because of our mayor, Todd Gloria, who was a former state assemblyman, um, he has like some pretty draconian, um, you know, mandates in that regard. So, you know, unfortunately, we do have like some first responders, like firefighters, police officers, um, you know, that are getting let go because of this, um, because, you know, taking the job, you know, against their personal, religious, and medical convictions, and it's quite unfortunate. Um, but, you know, from the mask mandate side, you know, even though, like, Newsom, you know, is instilling this soft mask mandate, um, I think in general, because it's been two years overall in San Diego and then California in general, um, and Newsom himself, like, he's not really enforcing it, like, he can't really, um, but he's entrusting that that ability, you know, for people to take personal responsibility and for local officials to kind of enforce it. And being in San Diego, we haven't had a mask mandate in, like, several months. We don't have a vaccine passport, so, um, you know, sometimes I think it really is contingent upon your county. Um, but, you know, in that regard, like, we've been doing just fine, and that's why, you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, as far as California, like, some bigger issues, um, in the midst of Newsom, you know, one-man rule in a lot of ways over these past couple of years, um, I think California could do better in regards to different things. So if I could think of like some bullet points, I think California should really be hammering home some kitchen table issues. Um, I would say number one, school choice. Number one, the environment. And when I say the environment, I'm talking about wildfires and water and droughts. Um, the third one is homelessness. The fourth one is the high cost of living. Um, and the fifth one is medical freedom. And when I say medical freedom, you know, it's more of like families being able to make those kinds of decisions for themselves and choose what's best for them. So whether they choose to do, you know, get the job or not, you know, having the families being able to make those kinds of decisions. So, you know, that's how I would describe San Diego and California, you know, in the midst of Newsom's one man rule. Well, that's great. That's a great report about San Diego. And when I think of uh, San Diego, my, my previous uh, memories of San Diego as a corporate employee working um, and, and having meetings along Hotel Row that was close to the airport. And I used to meet there because that's where all the hotels were. That's close to the airport. Um, I remember San Diego being just a, a maverick of a city for you know liberty, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then over time, especially these last two years, the name Fletcher popped up. Mr. Mm -hmm. Fletcher. And, yep. I, and when, I, when I heard that name, I said to myself, how did this, how did this happen to San Diego with Fletcher yep. being the, yep. the, the big name down there messing up everything? So how did that happen? <laughs> so for the viewers that don't know... Um, what what my, my friend Rick is referring to. So there's, it's really hard to talk about one without talking about the other. So um, there's Nathan Fletcher. He is one of he is the chair of the county board supervisors here in San Diego, and then he is married to Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher, who is a former assemblywoman, um, and they are both based here in San Diego, California. Nathan Fletcher is infamous because he used to be a registered Republican and. When he was looking to get the endorsement of the Republican Party in San Diego, when he was looking to run for mayor against Carl DeMaio, um, you know, it was kind of between those two Republicans, um, the endorsement from the local party went to Carl DeMaio. After that, Nathan Fletcher um, denounced it, denounced the party, and became a registered independent. After some time, he, you know, tried to run for mayor as an independent, and that failed. Um, and in that process, he became a registered Democrat. David Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher, um, and then they got married. Um, Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher is the most 
um, powerful, she used to be the most powerful um, lawmaker in the California state legislature. And when I say powerful, she was the chair of the Appropriations Committee. What that means is at the Sacramento Capitol, she is the chair and she is in charge of the committee where before you have all these bills from these committees, it goes to the Appropriations Committee before it gets to the floor where all the assembly members vote on it. So she has the power to basically toss out bills. And, you know, in general, um, I can tell you she was not very popular, even on, like, the Democrat side, because she was to spend and get rid of bills, you know, out of spite of people. So it's very hard to talk about one or the other because they're, you know, like a powerful duo. Yeah, um, yes. And she's also known, she's the queen or the, or the queen of AB5. Absolutely. And she's also the queen of SB 276, SB 277. So in California, if you have a child who is attending government schools, they are not able to obtain religious, medical, or personal exemptions for vaccines. Um, she also um, authored bills to have ballot harvesting and motor voting. Um, so these bills, they're under her name. Um, so she's very infamous for that. Um, so she and for and she also resigned um, last week. So she's going to be the head of one of like the big labor unions. So um, in the ninth of lecture, he's still the chair of the county board of supervisors. Um, in San Diego, we have a grassroots coalition called Fed Up with Fletcher, and our goal is to basically campaign against Nathan Fletcher because he is up for re-election this year. So, you know, we're on the scout and looking for people to replace him, but we're also campaigning against him on the on you know on the grassroots side because we want to be able to plant the seeds to the community within San Diego, letting people know like what Nathan Fletcher has done. You know, basically, you know, one big thing that happened under Nathan Fletcher because he is the chair and because we do have this three to two Democrat supermajority. And when I say Democrats, these individuals and our board supervisors, they're not like moderates where, you know, we can just agree, disagree on certain things. They're statists, meaning they believe in like the vaccine passports and the mass money, like the worst kind of uh, beliefs in regards to stripping, you know, our individual liberties here in San Diego. Um, so one thing that happened was in our county board supervisor meter under Mason Fletcher's watch and something he bragged about um, is basically labeling any kind of information about COVID as health misinformation. And that was a pretty big deal because, you know, it really set the precedent on like the local side. Um, so basically after that happened, even though on the San Diego side, we had like hours and hours of public commentary, lots of people doing in-person speeches and public comments, um, also lots of phone calls and online comments as well. And besides that point, you know, basically his deciding vote was to label that. And, you know, for those that want to counter argument and say like, oh, like what's health misinformation? Well, you know, it's one thing to be able to bring statistics in a group setting and be able to come to these different kinds of conclusions and let people decide for themselves. In Nathan Fletcher's eyes, um, basically what that means is hiring an independent commission or a different kind of panel with doctors that he believes are the experts. And basically, if we don't agree with those experts, that is health misinformation. <laughs> so in my purview, that means you know, it's not about freedom of speech. It's not about, like, the right information, about how the, allowing people the opportunity to make their decisions based off of their health, for their health. Um, it's really basically Nathan Fletcher chilling freedom of speech. Um, when I say chilling, that means that there is no room for discussion. So that's my take in regards to Nathan Fletcher and Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher. I did not know they were married. I did not know that, and so, so for people listening outside, outside of California, if you're listening from Florida, my home state, um, this is like, I mean, the, the best way I can describe this, this is like a, a, monar a monarchy, <laughs> where you have, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, you have 80 assembly people and about, about 40 state senators, and you have mm -hmm. a, a, at a at a at a higher level, you have a handful of people. Maybe five, six, seven, eight people controlling 40 million people's lives. Unconstitutionally, I would say, too. And, and the part that hurts me the most, I believe, 
Nathan Fletcher's a military veteran. Mm-hmm. And that, that that just really hurts to have someone that um, that that worked under the U.S. Constitution, and now it appears that he's violating it. So my next question, um, Cynthia, is: I mean, you went from talking about One American News Network to to politics. Where did you get your political activism from? Because it seems like you just switched gears just like that at a, at a moment's notice. You just turned the switch and went to politics. What drew you to activism in, in politics? Sure. So I think it's funny that I'm in politics at all because I can tell you growing up, studying about the government and our U.S. history or world history was a subject that I could care less about. It was something I was a very good student um, when I was in, when I was in grade school and undergraduate studies as well. But I could tell you those subjects were things that bored me. Um, I <laughs> um, so it's just really and I could it's just really funny because even like in grade school I took an AP government class and my teacher I should say uh, she was a professor so my my uh, the professor at the time. You know, she would take on me, you know, to encourage me to participate because it just didn't interest me. Also, the fact that, like, I'm even in politics is really hilarious. So what drew me into political activism or politics at all was the 2016 federal election. I kid you not, like, even if someone was not into politics at all, that election was so hard for people to not talk about Um, And when I say the 2016 election, I'm talking about basically Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. Um, It was just a wild, wild time. Um, So I was very uh, apolitical, meaning I was not into politics. One of my family friends uh, encouraged me to like look into it, figure out, first of all, go vote. And then also, you know, do your own research. So, you know, I... So I voted and things of that nature. And then after that, um, I became drawn to more of like the national political world and, you know, different culture issues. So I really like Turning Point USA, PragerU, a lot of different political commentators and pundits like Ben Shapiro, um, you know, and all these different people. And then I would say, you know, 2019, 2020, um, you know, I wanted to care a little bit more about my state politics, my local politics politics and my municipalities um and so i think covid you know really turned it up the notch to where i became a political activist um because i was just very frustrated with you know gavin newsom's covid response um and different things going on within our state and in 2021 um i decided to take it a step even further and get involved with the san diego republican party um and for me, like, that was a big game changer, having the opportunity to be able to network with different community leaders and elected officials. And the thing is that, you know, if you're a registered Republican in California, like, it is a very small world. Like, the second you start to network, like, you could be in a room and you will know people, um, especially if you've seen them at different events and things of that nature. Um, and if you don't know someone, you're going to at least know who they are from, like, a second or third degree connection. So that was, you know, just a very interesting thing. Um, the first, and I, you know, one thing also from being involved in the Republican Party and one thing that, you know, I care about the most is, you know, elections. So I started volunteering for different campaigns. The first campaign I volunteered for um, was for a special election for a state assembly race. Um, and that was in 2021 when uh, Kamala Harris, you know, became... Um, I don't even want to say it, but you know, she's up there in the White House (laughs) and, um, yeah. So because of that, she, um, she was, you know, the secretary, basically, uh, you know, she was attorney general. So Gavin Newsom pointed out to be, you know, the attorney general. And then, um, Gavin Newsom, that opened a vacancy for the secretary of state. So Gavin Newsom pointed Shirley Weber from Assembly District 79 at that time um, to be the Secretary of State. That left a vacancy, and uh, the lone Republican, you know, ran for that race. So that was, you know, the first campaign I worked on. Um, and, you know, since then, you know, 
I grew a very, you know, convicted opinion in that state assembly is by far the most important position that could impact our state because they're the ones that write these laws and legislations that have ruined our state. Um, so that's, you know, one thing that, so basically that's what drew me to political activism. That's my story. Wow. Wow. So let me ask you a question. It may not, hopefully it's not, hopefully, hopefully you don't say yes, but it's Shirley Weber and Akilah Weber related. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. I just, so I just happened to, that just popped in my mind, Cynthia. I just popped in my mind. Yeah, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. So let me spill the tea. Yeah, so Shirley Weber is the mother. Akilah Weber is the daughter. She was so, spoiler alert for anyone that doesn't know, um, Akilah Weber, she did beat the lone Republican that I tried to help, you know, win the seat. Uh, so if that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what is. Um, she also, so funny enough, now that you mention it, Nathan Fletcher, take a step back, you know, in San Diego, unfortunately, they labeled, you know, anything that goes against the narrative, COVID, uh, health misinformation. Um, it became a catch. It became like everything came full circle to me in a negative light because Akila Weber on the state assembly side, she decided to draft legislation to do the same thing on the state level, inspired by Nathan Fletcher doing this on the local level. So this really was just like a slap in the face you know, back to back for me. Um, I think I don't, I, I can't keep, I, you know, didn't keep track of it after I know she drafted it. I don't know if it got the vote to be able to get, you know, passed to the Senate. Um, so I can't give you an update on that at the top of my head, but that's like what happened last year during, you know, last session last year. So that was just like a double slap. Um, but for people who don't know, like California politics is basically all like, it's a dynasty. Like, you know, on the California state side, like people might not know this, but Gavin, Governor Gavin Newsom is Nancy Pelosi's nephew. Um, and on top of that, you know, basically the California dynasty side, you know, you have the Gettys, you have the Browns, um, and then you have like the News, and then you have Pelosi, and then you have the Newsom. So it's always been like a family dynasty. They're keeping everything within the family. And my whole thing is like, if it was a good heart family, I wouldn't have an issue with it. But these people are using these government powers, you know, for nefarious reasons. So that's why I take issue with it. It's corrupt. These people are compromised. They've abused the public trust. On the state legislative side, um, I can drop some names too. Um, our Attorney General Rob Bonta, his, there was a vacancy in one of the Northern California State Assembly sides. Um, and so there's a special election. Um, it was a Democrat stronghold. But uh, his wife, Mia Bonta, won that state assembly side. So they're they're together up there. Um, we also have, you know, the infamous Calderon family. Um, basically, you know, different men on the Calderon side. They were senators. They were assemblymen. Um, and then Ian Calderon, he ran, I believe, in 2012. Um, and he was the assembly majority leader. Um, and then he decided not to seek re-election in the last couple cycles ago. Um, and then his stepmom ran in her his place so she's up there um so yeah it's basically like a family dynasty and like i said i to me it's not an issue because you know family family legacies are beautiful but my whole thing is like these people aren't using these legacies for 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 the good in my personal opinion right 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 so um, one of the one of the reasons why we connected was that I was focusing on a lot of congressional stuff. I'm, I'm helping two congressional candidates. I'm, I'm working with one governor candidate in, in the state of Illinois. But you kept posting local, 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 you know, issues, local candidates. And I guess one 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 night, about maybe eleven o'clock or maybe one o'clock in the morning, I said to myself. Cynthia is right. Here we are in the biggest state out of the 50 and the most disastrous state, I would say, behind maybe New York or maybe we're first and New York is second. Why aren't people focusing on the, the state elections, the local um, uh, elections and issues? So what I did, I, I compiled all the state assembly members and all the state senate people. Because what I believe, Cynthia, is most of the people in California cannot even identify 
their state assembly member or state senator. And even myself, I, I have to think about who, who is the person that represents my area. So when, I, when you posted that, I said to myself, Cynthia is 100% right. So if you can, please explain to people, not just in California, but maybe in Illinois, in New York, and, and Oregon, and, and Washington State, why is it important for voters to put their energies on local and state elections? Sure. So to paint a little bit of a backdrop for people so I can level with people and everyone can be on the same page. Every four years, we elect a new president and vice president. And then every two years, um, you know, on the federal side, we have Congress. Congress, U.S. Congress consists of the U.S. House Representatives and the U.S. Senate. Um, Senate, you know, they have their different terms. And then, you know, U.S. House Representatives, you know, are two years. And, you know, on the federal side, these people, the senators and the, and, uh, the U.S. House Representatives, they're legislators. Um, and that's what consists of Congress. Now, they handle a lot of things on the federal side. So on the flip, so on my personal purview, you know, I even get caught up, I'm guilty of it because I have some opinions on what kind of candidate should be in Congress on the Republican side. However, one fun fact is there's the Freedom Caucus. And for those who don't know what the Freedom Caucus is, this is, you know, the fiery brand America First people usually consist of that. Uh, Governor of Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, um, was a distinctive member of the Freedom Caucus before he left Congress to run for Florida governor. Um, we also have a Representative Andy Biggs, Representative Madison Cawthorn, Lauren Boebert. Um, so different people you know, are in this Freedom Caucus. Um, in my purview, they're probably the more like social, they're probably the more conservative people, you know, within the Republican caucus in Congress. Um, and Representative Andy Biggs, um, I wrote a story about this. Um, he said that this country is going to be saved at the state level. So, you know, their intention, there's an article about on Breitbart where he got interviewed. So it's, a, it's an exclusive, you know, it's a real interview if anyone wants to look at it. Um, but he said this country is going to be saved, saved at the state level. And so the Freedom Caucus is going to be establishing Freedom Caucuses on the state level. So that way the state legislators can be able to communicate with the legislators in Congress. So that way Congress knows exactly how to fix things, you know, on the national level to help the state, state legislators. So if people in Congress are even recognizing that your state and your local elections are more important, I think that should be like a red flag and kind of cue people to focus on your local and state elections. So if you look at, you know, the names of like the state uh, legislators, um, you're going to have here in California, we call the lower house state assembly, and then the upper house is the state senate. Um, and then if, however, State Assembly is a really unique name. If you go to like other states, like I know Florida, for example, they call it, you know, the State House. So you might get confused a little bit by the names. But here in California, it's State Assembly and State Senate. So in my purview, our state elections are very are a lot more important in California. Why I really have in this home is, in my opinion, in 2020, if you didn't know anything about your local and state elections prior, you're forgiven. But after 2020, if you still know it, I think you're sleeping on under a rock at this point. The reason why our state had the worst COVID response is because we had these people in power who imposed these draconian things. So, for example, I think if we had people in there that, you know, weren't stated from the state level, you know, we could have been open a long time ago. Now, mind you, Gavin Newsom, you know, most of blame is on him. But he also, you know, had the backing of the Democrat supermajority who helped make things bad. So, you know, on the state side, state assembly side, to get some more additional feedback, um, in California, we have 40 senators and 80 assembly members. We have a Democrat supermajority, meaning there's two-thirds majority of Democrats and they have veto power. And so what that means is we have 56 Democrats, we have 19 Republicans, one independent, and two vacant seats at this juncture. Now, um, 
what's interesting to note too, we did not always have this Democrat supermajority. We had this um, basically in 2018. In my personal opinion, you know, we slept at the wheel. Um, we lost, not only lost, like, basically they flipped seats. So that's why that's what happened when we had the supermajority in 2018. So in my opinion, I think that getting more Republicans in there is not only doable, um, but it's also, you know, essential. So, you know, in the last session for the assembly back in uh, 2021, um, we had a vaccine passport in the working because of it was originally a transportation bill and then it got gotten amended to become a vaccine passport. Um, obviously, there was public pressure, but I also could argue that we were just fortunate that they introduced it so late in the game, so they didn't have time to get to it. So now that we have this new session for 2022 and there's different committee assignments, um, I don't, people should not be surprised if it gets brought up again. So State Assembly is the most important um office that these people should be looking at. You should look to see who your state assembly woman or man is. Um, and they're, 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 they have elections coming up in June. The primaries are June here in California. And then, you know, the primary elections are in uh, November 2022. Look to see if it's competitive. Look to say, look at their voting records. Go to legiscan.com. Look at these bills that they authored. Look who, who co-authored it. Figure out who is supposed to be representative um, and then also look to see who's running through ballotpedia.org um, and donate and volunteer for different assembly uh, elections even if they're not your own um, you know we want to make sure we're electing people that are able to put California in the right direction because if you're upset with different things like homelessness um, our education things are um high cost of living, um, you know, everything that's happening with the environment, um, medical freedom, that's happening in our in our capital of Sacramento. That's happening with our state assembly. That's happening with our Senate. On the local side, on the municipalities, you do have school boards, you have water boards, you have our county board supervisors. Those are crucial too, by the way, because school boards, they have a huge, um, you know, agenda in regards to implementing critical race theory, um, they also have a huge voice in regards to your vaccine and mask mandate. So that's important for you to be informed of. Um, also on a local municipality side, if you have, you know, mask mandate or vaccine mandate, that's going to be an issue um, within your county. Um, so that's why, you know, I think if there is to be said in regards to, you know, elections to care about, you know, I think everyone should be more concerned with their state and local elections. Definitely. The call to action is, is, is on. It's, it's a red alert for the California Assembly to, to, to flip that, to get the majority back, because they are destroying the state. And I'm glad you, um, you know, knocked me up against the head, you know, virtually at least, <laughs> so I could see that. So I have two more quick questions for you. So what do you see uh, first as our weaknesses? Um, what do you see as our strengths and weaknesses for California Republicans? And then we'll I'll ask the second question, which is that we'll end on a positive note. What do you see as our, our, our strengths and weaknesses? I think our strengths and that we've proven that we are the party that cares about kids. And when I say we care about kids, we want schools to be open full-time, in-person, with masks and vaccine choice. And um, so I think we're very vocal about that. We're the only party right now that is saying that message and that message very clearly. Um, I think we're also right now the only party that believes in medical freedom. When I say medical freedom, people should have the choice to get the vaccine if they want and they should be able to have the availability and affordable way to obtain that if they choose to do that um i don't see i literally cannot find a democrat politician who is saying that message at all 
So I think those are our strengths right now. We're the only ones that are being vocal about it. And I think these two hard buttons, along with cost of living, homelessness, and wildfires, and caring about water, I think we're the only party, um, the California Republican candidates are the only ones really hammering this. So I think that's great. Um, okay, so basically, I think our weaknesses for California Republicans, um, you know, just within the party itself, but just, you know, amongst yourselves, I, it really boggles my mind to me, to be honest with you, how much we have so much party infighting over this, um, over the idea of branding and messaging. And my whole thing is like, what's the big deal? Why are we fighting about this? Just be honest and say the truth. Say that California could be better if you vote for a Republican. Um, so I think that's, you know, our weakness for California Republicans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, the only one that, that I will add is that, um, you know, there's there's a lot of voter fraud and there's a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence. I mean, we can, we're not we're not sitting at the secretary of state's office to to put our finger on it. But I've been up and down the state many, many times. And I can tell you that California is not a blue state. Now, it may be a purple state. I believe it's actually a red state, but it's definitely, definitely not a blue state, like in, in, the, in the definition of everything's liberal, liberal and progressive. Being a former uh, resident of San Francisco, I can tell you that there are a lot of freedom-loving people that live in the city of San Francisco. Now, maybe they have ways they want to have fun or, or they want to take fun to the maximum. But at the end of the day, everyone loves the work. Everyone loves their their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And right now, the people in San Francisco, especially as they try to recall Chesa Bodine, the 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 the, 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 the San Francisco Attorney General, who's letting people out of jail just as fast as they're entering jail. Uh, San Francisco, you, see, people are going to be surprised with San Francisco uh, during the next election. So here's my last question. What do you see as our opportunities? The top opportunities is this. We have non-party preferences and Democrat voters who are open-minded and are willing to vote Republican for the first time in their entire life. So I think this is a great opportunity for California Republicans to say the truth and to get these people on our side. These people have become single-issue voters just based off of the fact that they want their kids to be unmasked in school. So if California Republicans can seize this opportunity, um, they can really leverage that to their advantage instead of just trying to turn out the vote for the Republican voters to be able to turn out the vote for no pride preference and Democrat um, voters as well. Um, I think another opportunity for California Republican candidates is, um, and from the voter side too as well, um, you know, Certain things like election integrity and medical freedom, which are things that have come up recently in the past couple of years. Um, it's a little bit unfair of, to ask of like our current politicians just because when they got elected, this was not really part of their platform. But moving forward, since we do have an election cycle coming up, this is something that now is important and something as a voter, it is upon ourselves to be able to ask this of these candidates coming up. So from the California Republican voter side, this is an opportunity for you to um, you know, be able to ask these candidates to make it part of their platform. And if it's not going to be part of the platform, then don't vote for them. Look for other people. So I think these are top opportunities for California Republicans. The threats, I think, are if... So I'm not a big believer in jury tests because I think we lose good people on the GOP side, you know, with some of these purity tests. But if there's to be a purity test to be had is with certain... with these hot-button issues. Um, if you're not, you know all in for it, I don't think you should be in office. Like, if you're not someone that's for math or vaccine choice for kids, I do not want you in office. So I think, you know, the threats for California Republicans, if they're not willing to take these hard stances, um, you know, I don't think you should be elected. I think people will catch on to that. Absolutely. So do you have any closing comments uh, about what people what we should look forward to in the next, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten months? Sure. Uh, so, you know, my biggest thing is I encourage people to get involved with their California, with the California Republican Party. Um, you know, obviously there's people that have their 
their disagreements about what's going on on the statewide level for the Republican Party. But my whole thing is like, we can't be doomers and gloomers. Like that's really unproductive and it's really your own fault if you're not willing to do something to make it better. So get involved, you know, try to make, be the, be the change you wish to see in your community. Get involved with the California GOP. Um, on the local side, you have a lot of power and control if you get involved with your central committee and your local Republican Party. So I encourage people to do that. Once you get plugged into the state party and the local party, your central committee, um, get plugged in and see who's running for office and see how you can not only donate them, see how you can help them, help them volunteer. When these candidates run, um, they're not making any money. It costs money to run races. And um, basically, you know, on the Republican side, the one thing that we lack from the Democrat side, Democrats are able to pay their volunteers. Um, so that's why they have the power to be able to ballot harvest and do all these different things. You know, so on the Republican side, we need people to help. Um, basically, if there's any, you know, lack of volunteers, they need money to be able to, you know, hire people to kind of fill in the gap. So these are crucial ways that I recommend for people to get involved if they wish to see the change if they want to be the change they wish to see in the community, see how you can help people, you know, with these elections. We have elections coming up um, in June, and then we have, you know, the primaries in November 2022. It's going to be a big, you know, opportunity for us. So that's what I recommend. Um, other than that, you know, the last few things I will say, in California, I'm a volunteer for California for School Choice and the California School Choice Foundation. So we have a ballot initiative that we're gathering signatures for. It's a statewide um, initiative, and we're going to be getting signatures until March 10th. So if people want to learn more about the language of the bill and what we're about, go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. Um, we're going to be at the Freedom Revival event here in San Diego at the um, Waterfront Park. That event is from 12 to 5. Um, so I'll be there. So if you want to say hi in person, you know, let me know. Um, and if people want to stay in touch with me personally, you can find me at Cynthia Cowie on Twitter and on Instagram. So you can spell that C-Y-N-T-H-I-A-K-A-U-I. Um, other than that, thank you for having me on. All righty. Well, I want to thank you, Cynthia, for being a guest on the Real People USA podcast. And you have provided probably, I mean, you, you packed it into about an hour, but this is like multiple hours worth of information that people have probably never heard before. So thanks for your time this Friday afternoon. Thank you. All right. Make it a great day. Take care.